0: Hi, welcome to the Women, Wellness and Wisdom podcast. For our new listeners, we are two moms with nine children between us, and we are aiming to empower and connect Jewish women to promote well-being and explore solutions to life's challenges with wisdom and wit.
1: Our guest for this episode is Charlotte Hotter. She is both a friend and a role model to us in many areas. Charlotte works every day to discover what her identity means to her in and of itself, She's a daughter, a sister, an aunt, an ex-wife, a stepdaughter and a member of a close-knit synagogue community. She has a village of close friends who are her backbone through the good and the bad in life and she is a wife and mother of six children, ages ranging from 19 years to 16 months.
0: She has been working as a doula for the last 10 years and has studied various forms of bodywork and is currently studying acupuncture and Chinese medicine. She has run online and
1: in-person educational programs for women's spiritual and personal development and well-being and has a keen interest in all aspects of women's physical and emotional health.
0: She spent many years working in the public sphere, running high-profile public events and educational programs and then took the decision to focus more inwardly on her family, her immediate community and her personal growth.
1: Basically, she spent 10 to 15 years trying to change the world and then realised that a better use of her energy and time would be to focus on trying to change herself. She describes herself as a work in progress and tries whenever she is able to take people along the journey with her. It's much more fun than doing it alone and she feels she learns so much more.
0: We hope you enjoy the podcast with Charlotte. We are sure you will take some wisdom from it.
1: Hi, welcome, Charlotte, to the Women, Wellness and Wisdom podcast.
2: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: Um, one of the things you mentioned to us in initial conversations about this interview is that you feel strongly that women need to take care of themselves in order to manage key life transitions. For example, marriage, birth, pregnancy, parenting, teenagers, etc. I think this is a key theme for you and ties together a lot of the work that you do. Um, Your experience is really varied, so it's hard to know where to start a conversation. Um, For many years, you've been arranging women's events and doing community work. Can you tell us a bit more about this?
2: Sure. Um, I guess my community work started as a Madrachayan in B'nai as a teenager. Um, And then I went on some years later to become a youth director. Um, I then went on to work for the United Synagogue in its newly developed tribe youth organisation or youth department and then I became a school's informal educator and I was quite lucky that each of these roles were kind of in evolving fields that kind of opened up as I I developed in my career. Um, So I got the opportunity to be part of something new which is always been a passion of mine um and then as I as I got married and moved on with my life I I noticed that although there was a lot of events going on within the community I felt there weren't enough intellectually stimulating um women's events I like the experience of studying and learning things with women and uh I wanted to create some so so I did amazing
0: what were can
2: you give us a few examples of some of the events you did? Oh gosh, um, I created a lot of programs in schools. Um, it was a, a new thing for um, educators to work within the Jewish schools running informal education. There was there was a small amount of it, but it was it was quite new to to bring out external bodies in to to run programs. So I I tried to do things that were that had a high profile, that were exciting and dynamic. Um, I really felt that within schools that there was a captive audience of teenagers who were already in the school and basically anything you did that was off curriculum was going to be exciting for them. So I really enjoyed having the opportunity to come up with crazy ideas. I had a lot of support in the schools in which I worked and I was lucky to be able to get both financial support and practical support to put on some Some crazy things. Um, The one that most people heard about was a program called the Ambassador Program, which I ran in initially in JFS, and then in a couple of other schools where students got the opportunity to develop their advocacy skills. They were um, they were learning to advocate for Israel. It was based on the TV show of The Apprentice. Um, we made a TV series that was broadcast within the school um, to the students and it was a great fun, it was a great competition and uh, it really kind of shook up the the norm in terms of how programs were being run in schools at the time. Um, it's much more common for things to happen like that now but at the time it was new Um and then for women, what I felt was that women's events often focused on social elements or on creative elements. I was often invited to events with, which were worked around art and creativity or around music um, or around socialising and food. But I wanted to create events that were around spiritual growth, um, emotional development, well-being um, and kind of looking at ourselves more deeply, I guess.
0: So um, you also run lots of healing and spiritual courses. Can you tell us more about those?
2: For sure. Um, I realised from quite an early age that I felt a sense of connection between the mind and the body. I wasn't able to necessarily articulate what that, that was, but I knew that I had quite a strong intuition. I noticed that there were physical manifestations of my emotional states of being and this kind of thing they were things I was just aware of as a child and as I got older um, I always had understood that these things were sort of um, outside of Judaism outside of the Jewish experience um, but it, it came to my attention over the years that there were in fact practitioners and uh, teachers um, available around the world who had managed to integrate both Judaism and some of the healing disciplines and uh, spiritual exploration that not everyone believed that only men over 40 could learn Kabbalah and that there was actually aspects of Kabbalistic thought if not the Zohar itself that could be learnt um, and that could enhance and develop um, our spiritual journey. I grew up in a household that was Sephardi by tradition and there was a lot of spirituality in my religious experience and um, as I got more religious Um, I felt at the time anyway that the community that I was a part of had less heart less soul Uh, my experience of it was very rigid and halachic, and um, based on a lot of fear-based psychology and I wanted to re-harness some of the more um, loving and embracing aspects and healing and spiritual work helped me to do that Um, I put on some quite a few events in London where I brought practitioners from around the world to teach women and also to, um, to, uh, to treat women. Um, And it was a fantastic experience. I learned a huge amount from many people. It's complicated because it's a very unregulated industry. Um, There's, there's very few, there's very little governance for that industry. And it, it meant that there was risk and responsibility for putting on the events. And I also, started to realize that i was hiding behind the events and not necessarily doing the work myself so it was very easy to put on the events and bring the practitioners and offer them to everybody but really what i wanted to do was offer them to myself um which was a big shift for me in my
0: thinking how did you find these practitioners because you you know you mentioned obviously like um it's you know judaism is spiritual But it's not one of those things that are so kind of people know about so much or maybe people are beginning to know about, about healers and that kind of thing. How did you find these practitioners?
2: Um, Through friends who mostly through people that had had um, either mental, medical or emotional mental well-being issues that hadn't been able to be resolved by regular medication. Um, or medicine in general, things that hadn't been solved by normative therapy or normative, you know, medications, those kind of things. Um, and friends were mentioning to me that they would had experiences with different practitioners—a reflexologist, a massage therapist—that seemed deeper than just the physical um, practice that they were carrying out. And um, I was curious, so I asked questions, and then I asked some of these practitioners to um, to teach. Um, and it, quite interestingly, for me, I, I jumped very quickly from knowing of their existence to trying to get them to help to teach other people. Um, but that was that was that was something that I was very keen on at that stage in my life, just kind of passing it on to other people as quickly as possible and getting the word out there because I just wanted to help as many people as possible to uh, get in touch with themselves.
0: Are you st- are you still in that mind frame of using healers? Because I have been, um, I went to a few of your courses, so I kind of know what they're about. Are you still kind of in that mindset or have you moved on from there?
2: I am definitely in the mindset that the mind-body connection is essential and um, a, a huge missing piece in many people's lives. And most of the things that I do for myself um, and in the work that I do are connecting that. Um, I feel that people greater than me need to regulate both the industry and the Torah around it um, before I feel that I have the, um, that I feel it's appropriate to keep opening up the platform because there's too many unknowns. Um, And that's how I feel. So I, I made a decision that I would focus more on my own growth and the answer to that is yes i still am passionate about healing and about spiritual awareness and about deepening one's own connection and having a meaningful experience of the world and uh, and religion um but i'm less public about it
0: i find that really interesting because i wonder if that ever can be regulated or be out or is it a bit taboo as in people don't talk about healing As you know, though we know about it, it's kind of a little bit magical in some ways. So personally, I would also be so interested if it was like regulated. Yeah, I
2: think it's difficult because you're trying to bring together multiple things. You're bringing together disciplines that weren't necessarily created within Judaism, but are not necessarily in conflict with it. Um, And regulation would involve um, both religious leadership and also you know um some kind of regulation within the practices themselves in but i to to be honest it's definitely not something i can do um and i i feel that that means you know it's not my my journey at this point my journey is to access as much of that as i can for myself and kind of um you know that analogy of filling the barrel till it overfills you know like if i fill myself up and i'm overflowing with with my own work then it will have an impact on others instead of just trying to fill other people's cups I should just fill my own for a while and and kind of let Mm. let Hashem do the rest and let the world kind of catch up at its own pace and not try and force something that is perhaps for whatever reason not available at this point perhaps for good reason in a public domain I think that these journeys are very private there's a reason why you know even when you look at um the, 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 the history about the development of the Neviim, the prophets who were the closest to kind of sort of spiritual beings and healers or well, I guess, psychics or whatever, however you want to describe it in our history. They worked in a very quiet way in caves with, uh, with a, with a, with a teacher that was sort of one-on-one, like an apprenticeship type thing. Um, and even when they were in groups, they were small groups and it was low profile and it wasn't public. And I think that one of the things I realized is that you can't be both. You can't be both very, very deeply internal and also very, very um, external at the same time. You have to kind of, I think I tried to live in both realities for a long time. And, um, and I made a decision that I was going to focus on a, more, a slightly more internal
3: path.
1: You mentioned that you previously did more work in the wider community and now that you your focus is more on your family, your immediate community and your own inner work, as you say. Um, was there a turning point for you when this focus shifted? Was there a particular event or was it more of a realisation that you had?
2: There were a few events that brought it home to me, but I wouldn't say it was a particular moment. There were just, um, it was just something around realising that that you couldn't be, that I couldn't be, that I couldn't be the fullest representation of my inner work and also a very public figure. And I also realized that my kids and my family didn't care how good I was at my work; they cared how I was at the supper table and at bedtime, and you know, in the quiet, private moments in our household. And um, and and I wanted to be the best version of myself at the supper table. <laughs> Um, I'm still working on yeah. that. But I, I really felt that overall, when I kind of looked back on any particular day or week, that my accomplishments within the parameters of my family felt more true to me than any public validation I got for work I was doing. And if that meant less, per- less people outside of my home were learning a particular skill, I kind of felt that they would come to it their- on their own. I think I looked for a lot of external validation in those years, and because I was doing, you know, spiritual work and you know, religious community work, it kind of felt justified um, that that yeah. it was kind of okay to seek validation because I was doing something good. I wasn't searching for money or or you know, some kind of high profile for something that wasn't sort of wholesome. But actually, in reality, I think I was still seeking a lot for validation. And um, I wanted to, to sort of find my own validation to take responsibility for my self-worth and my state of mind and, and actually do the work instead of showing other people how to do it.
1: Totally, yeah, I know that. It's very
0: honest, <laughs> very real. Um, so another significant life event for you has been your divorce and remarriage. Can you talk a bit about your experience of this in the Jewish community? And
2: is there any message that you want to give to over to women going through this? Oh yes, yeah. um, so yes is the answer. Um, when I I got married when I was nineteen, um, I had three children, and I threw myself into being a wife and a mother and a community member and all kinds of things. Um, and when I got divorced, I didn't know i knew one other from person who was divorced there wasn't a single child in my children's primary school i had three children in primary school and there wasn't another child in the school who had divorced parents there was no template for this um there was no template for for how this worked within our community i just had no no frame of reference although my own parents were divorced um i knew things from that that i didn't want to repeat but i i didn't have um i didn't have a template i didn't know how i was going to uh to build my life moving forward um and it was a problem and uh and nowadays there's another problem which is that i think that there's so much divorce and so much um um so many blended families that people look from the outside and they think that it's the easy way or it's it's easier sometimes i I very often hear people say to me but you're now so much happier or it was so much better for your family um and i i want to put the record straight and say that it isn't easy um it was not easy it wasn't the easy way and um building a a family you know in, in my case i didn't take on other children but my my husband did take on other children he hadn't been married before and it's not easy It's not easy for anybody. It's not easy on the kids. Um, It's really not easy on the kids. Um, And I would absolutely say, whilst I have the most wonderful, patient and fabulous husband, who's been the most wonderful father figure to my boys and we have three beautiful children together, um, it wasn't easy. And I still say to anybody that comes to talk to me about marriage and divorce, do everything possible to avoid it um just do everything possible to work on on your relationship and on yourself um in order to build to not have to go through the pain um i don't think that the that you know that it's that it's that it's spoken about enough um that process and i also really feel that as a, a community and i think it's possibly in the world as a whole but we're talking about our community that we don't prepare people well for marriage um, I didn't go into my second marriage particularly better prepared than I went into my first. And now after 20 years of essentially family life, I mean, I was I was married and divorced and remarried. It's been 20 years of that process. I, I still feel that I lack so many skills and skills that perhaps the community could do more to teach. Um, I think that we struggle to identify what we feel in the community in terms of gender roles within a household and within a family about women being assertive without being aggressive about the space within a relationship for the different characters that are there Um, i think there's more we could do to prepare young people for the reality of relationships Um, i think we could be more honest um, about the skills that people need in receiving and expressing their desires in um, in focusing on themselves and not necessarily on the other people. Um, I have six children. I have a wonderful husband. I have a beautiful home and a fantastic community, but we work very hard to maintain that. And I, I think that not enough people talk about the work. Um, and that's, mm-hmm. I think that that's maybe my divorce, what my divorce gave me is the opportunity to be a bit more honest with people um, and and to talk about the things that are hard more than perhaps others do. Mm
1: -hmm. It's very important. Yeah, and I know you're you're a role model for a lot of people, myself included. So um, yeah, thank you for your honesty. It's really a pleasure. Um, More recently, you've been working as a doula, uh, giving childbirth classes and supporting women through the process of childbirth itself. Um, Can you tell us a bit about how you became interested in this work? Sure.
2: I a couple of my earlier births were very, very difficult. They were very traumatic. I'd always wanted to have a big family. And I just was convinced that there must be a better way to do this. Because just intellectually, I figured women were designed to have babies. We were created to do it. And uh, I just seemed so bad at it. Um, the births were not the same. They were, there were various different circumstances with my births. And they were just so hard and, and so traumatic that I felt there must be another way. Um, and I started to listen to myself. I started to listen to, um, to, to what I felt I needed instead of having this experience of kind of going to a hospital and saying, kind of rescue me from, from this, get this baby out somehow as if I was completely disempowered. And, um, I, I also got remarried and I was due to, you know, I was, we wanted to have more children together and I wanted to explore Um, aspects of childbirth that I hadn't had the opportunity to explore previously and so I started doing some courses and I noticed that most of the courses that I went to, hypnobirthing courses and Lamaze courses and this kind of thing, were attended by first-time mothers which is stereotypical Um, and you know my husband hadn't had a baby before and we decided to attend a course together Um, But what that gave me was insight that in this class, when they were speaking about childbirth and they were referencing different elements of it, I kind of could could actually reference my own experience, whereas most of the other women had never been through it before. And I started to realise that this kind of one size fits all approach, even if it was a very natural, holistic approach to childbirth, that a lot of these systems were very commercialised and they were not actually taking into account the individual, the individual woman, the dynamic between the husband and wife in that particular couple. Or sometimes there isn't a husband and wife. Sometimes there's a different dynamic. The other birth partners who might be there, the experiences in the families of of the people who are in that birth and what they've been told about birth, their their bodies, their emotional state, um, their their health and well being, and all these things had a had an effect. And you would go to a class and say, well, if you breathe this way or stand this way or your husband does this or you read that or say this, then your the outcome is going to be great. Um, and I just felt it was. Um, it, well, the best word I can use is commercialized and the worst word is dishonest. Um, and I just felt it was mm-hmm. it wasn't right. And um, I started to look at. the the medical sources behind the advice that was being given, each system had some good advice, but it wasn't necessarily applicable to each woman. And when I started to look at the source materials, I realized that there was a lot of science behind how a woman responds to childbirth, both physically and emotionally, um, physiologically and otherwise and uh, my exploration was simply for myself for myself and my new husband to try and have a positive birth experience which I was very blessed to achieve um and then a couple of my close friends said well you've always told us that your first few births were very difficult and this one was amazing so you're going to have to teach us what to do and I said don't be silly I just figured this out for myself and they said nope you're gonna you're gonna help us and they showed up at my house and I'll always be grateful to them because they um they convinced me to try and share with them what I'd learned. And that helped me to formulate the thoughts in my mind as to how I could use that process to help families, one family at a time, without a big public platform and without big events and just in a more more humble and more um, local way to, to have a more positive birth experience. And one of them just said, well, you're coming with me. Um, and that's how I became a doula. You were
0: my doula twice. <laughs> and um, it was um, one of the birds I had to say was incredibly beautiful and so were you ever in situations where you were concerned or scared so, uh, it's quite a responsibility it is a
2: responsibility a doula is a non a non-medical role so it's very important to again have humility and be aware of what the role is and your role is there to support the mother essentially um, and to also have respect for the environment in which the mother's chosen to give birth and to ensure that the right medical support is available. I have to be honest and say that within a, ve- within a very short period of time, I felt that it was a calling and that I had an instinct in terms of how to support women. But I I started to notice that there were um, some very frightening situations that can occur um, where women are not given support that they need where their instincts are not trusted fully where they're not listened to fully within the hospital system or um or or where I would go to a birth with a woman who had spent time with me preparing for her birth and was well prepared and her husband was there to support her and he kind of knew his role and I knew my role and we were working together as a supportive team and we would walk into a hospital with very very scared women there who are in the corridors or having very, very difficult birth experiences because they just weren't given the time to um, to have the right support. Um, I think postnatal mental health has a lot to, a lot of work that needs to be um, done with it. And there's actually um, an amazing organization that's been set up recently um, in the community to address perinatal mental health. So the mental health of women, both before and after um, giving birth during the pregnancy and, and post-birth period which I think is so, so crit- critical um, to help women to to manage mental health issues which are very real and which there isn't enough support for. So those are the kinds of things that make me concerned or scared. I really trust um, the midwives in our hospitals by and large. I think that we live in a in a country with good choices and good options available, but I think that the lack of a relationship between women and their midwives means that sometimes their instincts are not trusted and the support isn't in, in place at the right time
0: what what is this new organization it's called
2: Manucha. It's, oh, it's, wow. it's very very new Do it's I very think- very new and it was it was created by um a fantastic lady who has been absolutely determined that um, nobody should suffer any longer with poor mental health support um during pregnancy and childbirth um, and that there's just too many women in our community living with uh, mental health issues that are not being addressed fully uh, because of the taboo and because of not being able to find access to the right support, because when you're suffering from depression or anxiety or these kind of things, you can't, you often can't advocate for yourself and there wasn't sufficient signposting or sufficient you know, one massive issue was that women were afraid to ask for help because they thought that they would be told that they were doing the wrong thing by wanting to have big families. Um, and so they just weren't seeking help because they were just t- thought that they were going to be judged. Um, but there's huge amounts of, of, of support available. And these, these women have done amazing work to set up this organisation. I think it's admirable. I think we can only yeah. access our intuition when we're in a good space, a good headspace. And that good headspace requires being informed and being supported because if we're not informed and supported, then we're not, we're not, our intuition is not necessarily accurate. We all know that we tell ourselves stories or we get ourselves worked up if we're not in a good place. Um, So it's like a, a catch 22. If you don't create the right support, then you don't have access to the intuition and what I think is that our healthcare services is not used to women being in a good place and therefore they learn to dismiss the intuition because their assumption is that this woman is fearful or uneducated or, you know, on the back foot here and therefore sometimes they're dismissed. But if we could improve the education and the context in which these women are experiencing their pregnancies and their childbirth, then we could um, give women access to their their own power again.
0: Yeah. Makes th- it a lot of sense. I think as well that we're told that we're wrong as well. You know, int- you know, it's not yeah. medical sometimes. So that's. I mean, there's a story of a woman who had five babies, and her sixth baby, she kept saying, "I wanted a cesarean. I want a cesarean." And the doctor goes, "There's no. Re-. I mean, this was a few years, quite a few years ago, and um, and in the end, in the middle of her labour, her baby completely flipped the other way." She had to have a cesarean, and she actually told the young doctors, "Right, you need to listen." <laughs> need to... I mean, it's something similar happened to me as well, but it it's hard to have your voice heard. I think as well, but when when it's not really spoken about so much, the whole. I mean, it's a more of a medical. I suppose that's why people are having home births. Have you ever been at? A I've home I've been birth? at many
2: home births, and I've had a home birth myself as well. So, it's very very special.
0: What would you say that
1: being a doula has
2: taught you? Um, I think the most sort of um, profound lesson it's taught me is that sometimes just being is more important than doing. Um, Actually, I would say often being is more important than doing. I think that it taught me to slow down, Mm -hmm. um, which people don't understand because they think of a doula running out in the middle of the night and helping women with contractions and all this kind of stuff. But actually... Um, the still and quiet spaces within with women um, as you witness them accessing their intuition and their own power are the most powerful moments that I've experienced in my working life Um, and that creating Mm. the support and the space for women for the woman to do their work and and witnessing that and serving that I think that humility the humility to know that you're there to create space for other people to be the fullest expression of themselves. I think that's the biggest lesson.
0: So how did you balance being a doula with family life? Actually, how did you balance <laughs> doing <adolescence>? this? <laughs> because you keep, you, keep saying, you keep saying you're saying you know, there's a lot going there's, on. Uh,
2: <laughs> there's, there's two answers to that. One, the first one is my husband. My husband has been incredibly, incredibly supportive of all of my endeavours. Um, he runs his own business, which certainly gives him some flexibility, but he's gone above and beyond over the last twelve years in order to accommodate um, my craziness, um all the things I want to explore and all the antisocial hours that those things involve, and the intensity with which i I carry things out. And the second thing is really, really good domestic help um, and it's something I talk about a lot and very public about because. People, again, are sort of ashamed to say that they pay for people to help them in order to facilitate them to do the things that they feel that they want to do. Um, And we choose as a family to, you know, put money into creating um, a home that is ordered and organised and also to having people that can do things, certain roles in the household while I perform other ones. Um, It's a decision we make as a family. And I know that we're privileged to be in a position to be able to pay to help whether that's babysitting or cleaning help or whatever it is um but it's the only way that i was able to do the things that i can do and it's not that i have more hours in my day or some magical power that other people don't have
1: it makes a difference It definitely makes a difference um so another key theme for you is the parenting journey and um, your own kids span from teenager to toddler. Uh, who are your main influences and what are their philosophies? And also, have your feelings about parenting and the methods that you use changed over the years?
2: This is such a great question. Um, and of course, I'm, st- I'm talking, I'm answering it from my perspective now with a 19 year old. Um, I can't completely remember, you know, what it was like what my philosophies about parenting were when I had him I I remember very powerfully the experience of having him and having a very strong maternal instinct um and wanting to be very physically close to him and knowing I wanted to have a secure attachment with him um but I Mm -hmm. I don't think I had philosophies and I definitely didn't have confidence um with things that again my intuition I didn't have the confidence of my intuition there were definitely things that I was told are the right thing to do when I had him that I felt instinctively were not the right thing to do and which um throughout my parenting years I've learned to listen to that voice more um my kids themselves are honestly the best teachers especially now I have a few teenagers um who are quite happy to tell me what I did well and what I didn't do so well at um and that's great actually um i'm very blessed that that we have an open dialogue and that we're able to discuss it um some of it is hard to hear um and uh and actually recently i was talking to them about what they felt were the strengths and the weaknesses that i had brought to um to to our to to the parenting relationship And it was very interesting that they actually said to me that the thing that they felt that I struggled with the most was to ask for what I actually wanted um, and to ask for it from myself. So, again, it was about confidence. It was about having the confidence to say, um, you know, this is what I think or this is what I feel. I would often make references to what was done or what was appropriate or what the community expected or what the school expected or what. Um, my husband wanted from them or whatever and uh and and they told me that I avoided for a long time saying to them you know from like basically honoring the relationship between myself and them um and that was very humbling to understand that actually the relationship was from their point of view was the primary motivation for compliance basically um they were not um won over by anything that was to do with guilt or shame or expectation or community yeah, they're very independent thinkers I no, no idea where they got that from um and they just they just said to me that it was the relationship that you know they were much more likely to to sort of want to um comply or, or collaborate with me um I was very influenced by a course I took from Rebbitz and Sima Svetna, who we've spoken about before, who many, many years ago, yes. um, she has a system for child, uh, for, for parenting um, with fantastic techniques. Um, but, and when I first went into the course, I thought she was, you know, it was about getting tips about actually how to parent on a practical level. And what I understood through her approach and which I've now understood through the approaches of, the many people that have inspired me is that actually the philosophy is about understanding that you can only work on yourself, that you can't actually make your children do anything. You can't make anybody do anything. All you can do is work on yourself and essentially make yourself a more attractive partner for your children to collaborate with. Um, and that involves knowing what your real values are and they should be your values and not just parroting things that you think you're supposed to say um and 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 being a sincere representation of yourself children smell insincerity and hypocrisy from a hundred miles and they're very willing to um to tolerate inadequacy they're willing to tolerate mistakes they're very forgiving they can be very flexible um but they just want sincerity and honesty and a genuine relationship and the ability to um you know, to, to, to see that you're being real with them. That's, I guess that's how I would, how I would put it. And I, and I do feel increasingly strongly that um, early attachments are also a very critical part about parenting. Um, really that the, that the early attachment period is, um, is what forms the relationship. Um, and, and that relationship is what stands the test of time. Um So I, you know, in in more recent years, I know that I've been very interested by um, the work of Harville Hendricks who developed the Imago therapy model, um, all the gentle parenting. There's many, many people that put themselves under the category of gentle parenting approaches. Um, Gabor Mate writes fantastically um, together with Dr. Gordon Neufeld about um, attachment and about why parents need to be more important to children than their peers. And I think that in today's world, that's absolutely Mm. critical. We live in a world where their access to their peers is so much greater than, than what we had growing up because of social media and because of the ability to communicate with large numbers of people on a regular basis, that parents don't stand a chance. You know, there's one parent and there's 600 friends. Um, And, Mm. you know, it's, I once went with my with my teenagers um, through their their communications, and they were regularly co- communicating with in excess of two hundred people on a weekly basis, and it was the norm yeah. for them. Two hundred peers, it's
1: crazy,
2: and that was no- that's normal. Mm-hmm. That's not, you know, that's not even excessive. They have, um, and they connect with people, and they have meaningful conversations with people they've never met in person. And as a parent, there's just going to be one or two of us, you know, around or, you know, even if you have step parents and a few grandparents, the numbers are are minuscule compared to the number of influences they have socially. Um, And I think that that's that makes the um, the early years attachment when you are the primary um, caregiver, um, if you have that opportunity, even more important. But I don't think that it means that it's irrevocable and that if you didn't get the attachment right when they're young but you can't make it up to them Um, i I really feel that with my teenagers now every time i become more aware of elements of this relationship dynamic and its importance i'm able to um to re-engage them as in a more adult way but still make the same connections again i I don't believe that that it's any that it's ever too late Um, i haven't come up with any any element of the relationship that it's too late to build and grow on
1: it's really interesting conversation to have with your kids about how, how they, you know, reflecting on your parenting skills or how they felt your parenting skills were, you know, in the past. Um,
2: can't talk to them bad. about parent, your parenting when they're in a bad mood with you, only when they're, you know, happy and relaxed and they think you're quite good that day. <laughs> right.
0: I'll remember that one. And how old were they when the first conversation... well Well, I think with my
2: older children I wouldn't have had the conversation with them but now I'll talk about it with my eight and ten year old comfortably um and there's a language and a vocabulary in our in our household which allows them to tell me what they appreciate and what they don't appreciate about my parenting and it doesn't threaten me I think with my older children I would have told them it wasn't their place to tell me about how to parent them um but now um it's it's just a more a more comfortable dialogue that we have between them you know um I think that 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 Rebberton Spetner once told me many years ago that um that I asked her what do you do with children that I just don't want to play ball like they're they're strong willed they're independent minded you know they were quite young at the time they're not even particularly controversial they're just you know strong-minded and she said She said, I'll give you the analogy of the child that doesn't want to sit next to his sibling at the dinner table. You know, that they just those two siblings just nudge each other the whole time. And she said, of course, you could send one kid outside the room and just tell them you can't keep nudging your brother or your sister or whatever. But the other option that you have is that you could just expand the table. You could just make the table bigger and make sure that there's enough space for each kid. And there'll be the kid that needs to be right next to you. Um, at the table, and there'll be the kid that needs to be far on the other side with a whole end of the table to himself, and there'll be others that are more able to sit, you know, near to each other at different distances. But the be- the most important thing is to keep everybody at the table, um, and I think that was one of the most powerful lessons that that she gave me about parenting. It's something I think about all the time, and this dialogue, this conversation, is what keeps my kids at the table. So the
1: million dollar question is how do you build that confidence that authenticity you know that you know your own unique style how do, how does one do that
2: I, I think it was working on my myself on my self esteem on on my values on really mm. because if you 're confident in yourself then you 're open to someone talking about you if you 're insecure, then you can 't hear it um it's too mm. painful and um And I definitely spent a lot of my life running away from criticism and running away from hearing um, people talking about me. Um, I would always be, you know, in charge and running the show and leading and in control. Um, And I would always position myself with the upper hand in terms of, I would always put myself in a position where I would be, you know, the best or I would think I was the best at it in order to avoid being criticized or or told that i wasn't you know doing it right or whatever and it was my insecurity and i think that that it doesn't mean that i think that i do everything right i just think that i am um i'm more confident in my in my willingness to learn i know that i my intentions are good and that i'm 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 trying and that um that that I'm humble enough to learn and not to uh, not to beat myself up basically. And that, that allows me to have a more honest relationship with my kids. Mm
1: -hmm. So by making yourself a bit more vulnerable, that opens up that, uh, that conversation and that deepens the relationship.
2: That's been my experience. Vulnerability is, is life changing for me. Um, And I think that, you know, my own parents were divorced and my mother suffers with mental health issues herself and I got married young and I had kids young and I got divorced young and I got remarried still young. And it was, I was, you know, always um, on the sort of edge of new precedent. And I think that I, I somehow along the way, I lost the capacity for vulnerability. And also actually back to what Joanna was saying before is that I didn't trust it because people kept um, squashing my intuition or my instincts. um, And those things were linked to my vulnerability. So I think as these things developed and evolved, I, I regained my ability to be vulnerable without being um, breakable, I guess.
0: When you talk about values, are you talking about moral values? Sorry, because you said you have to kind of figure out your values. Is that moral values? Or I think that... the moral
2: values are easier, actually. It's things that are not moral that are, um, that are harder to work out. So, you know, my kids always we have a constant debate in our house about clothing um and about whether clothing is appropriate or not appropriate i have boys so it's a little it's less about like modesty in the conventional term but what defines something as shabbos clothes for example um you know and 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 is my value that they should wear certain clothes in order to fit in with a norm is that a value for me or is it not is it you know, is there flexibility within my value when it comes to that? Um, You know, Spetney, I remember her giving the example of um, a child that asks their mother if they can have Rogelach for breakfast. And the parent mother says, you can't have Rogelach for breakfast. Rogelach isn't breakfast. You need to eat toast or whatever. And then the next morning, the mother's rushing to a meeting and she grabs a coffee and a Rogelach and runs out the house and jumps in the car with the Rogelach in one hand and the coffee in the other because she's in a rush. So is it is it a value that Rogalach is not breakfast? You know, what do you, I, I know it seems like a small thing, but you've just told your kids that they can't have Rogalach for breakfast. So is it true that you can't ever have Rogalach for breakfast? You know, um, is there sometimes a time for it? And is that child allowed to say, well, today I feel like having Rogalach for breakfast instead of having cereal. And, you know, I'm not having it every day, but today I want, you know. So it's an just an example, but um, these are the things that, the things that are not black and white are much harder to to establish, um, and I find that again I can't access my values from a place of being public or being enmeshed in the community or being enmeshed in even all the members of my family. I have to sit quietly with myself and figure it out. And I'm not talking about the cut and dry things that you know we live within a halachic framework and and you know the the big moral things that are obviously more clear it's the more subtle things that actually we, you know, we're not having moral dilemmas in my household every day thank goodness we're having much more practical dilemmas about um you know boundaries and clothing and speech and 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 these kind of things and and we have to be sure of what we think and very often I certainly was very reflexive um you can't do that or it's not okay and I didn't always think about why that was And I don't even, by the way, I don't believe you have to tell, explain yourself to your children all the time. I don't always explain to them why something is a rule in my house or or even why it's a value for me in the moment. I just have to be confident of it because they can sense if you're not sure.
0: So I know you feel very strongly about parenting teenagers in particular. Can you give us some tools that you found useful that? might uh, help our listeners for us. Um, I, I think,
2: I mean, I gave you some examples of, of, of my tools in terms of the teenagers themselves, but I think the main thing that will help the listeners and help us, the three of us, is talking about it more. We don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about the challenges of teenagers and the struggles that we have. We don't talk about the additional um, you know, burden, I would say, that we put on ourselves by not only dealing with the normal teenager stuff, but also putting religion on top of it and community expectations and community norms. Um, I was recently watching, um, I follow someone on Instagram, a family on Instagram called the Radfords. I don't know if you've heard about them, but they have, I think, 21 kids or something. And um, and they're amazing. Yeah. They're, you know, this this amazing mother who just is this, you know beacon of light and laughter and and everything else and she's got this household of children of all different ages and she laughs with them and she jokes with them and they all seem really well behaved and there are dynamics that go on but there are there are things that happen in their in their family that are um you know that are challenging but when I was watching it recently and I was thinking about it I was thinking how many less things she's worried about so for example clothing is a non-issue she's not religious so there's no issue of clothing and and this kind of thing it's just a non issue modesty is a non issue i mean I'm sure there are boundaries, but her kids can pretty much wear whatever they want you know um we've got a we've got a big responsibility we have high standards for our children and for ourselves um and that makes it um and that makes it additionally complex and I think that again, women are not well enough supported I'm sure men aren't as well, but I can only really talk from my own experience. We don't talk about it often enough. And very often the people that will reach out to me about challenges with their teenagers are sort of doing it quietly. Nobody else knows. And I haven't talked to anybody about it. And, you know, and 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 can you possibly help me with this and this challenge? And, you know, I, I try to be very open. And of course we have to protect our kids' privacies, but actually we're talking about ourselves in the main and there's not enough of it. So the most important tool is find find supportive people find people who are at the same stages of life as you are at whose households reflect similar values It doesn't have to be exactly the same but whose households are reflecting similar values to yours and talk to each other and share and and talk to each other's teenagers that's another massive thing um you know my kids benefit so much from the relationships that they have with my friends because sometimes they can talk about things with them that they can't talk about with me and i'm very confident that the friends that they're talking to have similar values to to me so Um, there's just a a better flow
1: your journey has now led you to a point where you're currently studying acupuncture and Chinese medicine how did you become interested in this and can you tell us a bit more about what it is Um, is it used for particular ailments or general well-being
2: okay so um, yeah I've moved to towards studying acupuncture and Chinese medicine my first contact with it was to do with um health issues in pregnancy so for me it was hyperemesis which is a very severe um morning sickness essentially which isn't morning sickness it's just all day sickness in my pregnancies which um conventional medicine is able to do very little but people also access acupuncture for um all kinds of things during pregnancy like back pain or even emotional um things anxiety and this kind of thing so when you can't take regular medication acupuncture is something that's available um and and acupuncture in chinese medicine can be used for all kinds of things um i'm i'm you know i'm i'm in a process of learning it but i've seen its applications in lots of areas i just happen to come across it through my work with pregnant women um also with helping to turn breech babies and various things like that so a whole host of different things the emphasis on Chinese medicine is about balance it's a whole body system um that that uses that looks at the entire body so when someone presents with a particular condition you don't just look at that particular thing whether that's a physical ailment an emotional ailment a hormonal imbalance a, a medical diagnosis but rather you look at the whole body and and you look at, at, at balance within the body, you use the pulses and various diagnostic techniques to um, to assess the balance of all the different systems in the body. The, the Chinese system use the terms yin and yang, which is sometimes translated as masculine and feminine, light and dark. Um, the point is that they are and, and each part of that, each part yin has within it yang and yang has within it yin. Um, I was actually talking about this with a friend of mine who, who identifies as non-binary um, and they were actually questioning when I was talking to them about this podcast and, and, and my work and the things that I do, they were actually questioning my emphasis. I always talk about women's health and well-being, um, And actually mm. they were, they questioned me on that, that and they asked me if I really meant, um, you know, only women, do I think that what I'm applying, that what I say only applies to women and, the truth is that I think that what I focus on is on balance. Um, I realised that I was living out of balance, and that a lot of people around me are living out of balance. The nature of of our community and the way we live our lives is that that the people I interact with most intimately are women. Um, but actually, I think that 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 this applies to anybody. It applies to men. It applies to people that identify in in, in a different way in terms of gender. Um, and and acupuncture in Chinese medicine forces me to all the time to to kind of step away from preconceived notions of good and bad and and well and ill and masculine and feminine and just look at balance and flow within the body. Um, and to me, it's it's <laughs> I, I tell people um sort of privately when they asked me about it i said acupuncture reminds me a bit like when i was a child i used to love to do dot to dot drawings where you would draw follow the numbers and create a picture um because if you just followed the pattern and the system then something would kind of jump out at you um and when i use the techniques of acupuncture um and chinese medicine diagnosis and and the systems and I combine that with my spiritual understanding and, and my understanding of healing systems it feels a bit like a combination of a dot to dot and a, and one of those 3D pictures that when you defocus your eyes it jumps out so a kind of a combination of the two I feel like it just allows, mm. um, allows, it allows me and myself and it allows me when I'm working with other people to just um access a more three-dimensional perspective on 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 balance for that person and 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 balance for me and you have to be balanced as a practitioner um Chinese medicine talks a lot about how you have to work on yourself you have to come into the into the into the, the treatment session as a balanced person you have to take care of your nutrition and your exercise and your sleep and all of those kind of things in order to be able to pick up the diagnosis because if you don't you will your your own stuff will come up and you'll you'll muddy the waters Mm -hmm. and this again this is reflected in my experience of women in childbirth it's reflected in my experience as a parent as a wife um you know this this idea of you've got to take care of yourself you have to find balance in yourself and then you have to look at the whole of the other person whoever that person is be there a friend a child a client um And, you know, in birth, I look at both the mother and the baby and the dynamic between the the husband and the wife, which is the most common dynamic that I see. Um, And just it's a bit like that. Those those pictures that we used to have, you know, that 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 book, I think it's called Zoom, where you just kind of zoom out on the picture again and again and again and get more and more layers of perspective. Um, that's, That's what I feel that that Chinese medicine and acupuncture brings to my life, the study of it. The treatment of people and what i think it can bring to other people as well
0: are practicing it have are you um have you finished the course or are you coming to an end? So, well, it's quite not, it's it, the end quite a lot the study of
2: acupuncture and chinese medicine is a uh, is like an apprenticeship discipline you can you people study it for 30 or 40 years and they never there's no there's no official end point to the study Um there are some conditions and, and things that i'm comfortable and happy to treat um, Other things I. I'm choosing not to mainly because I'm doing my work in order to become more balanced. Um, I'm trying to focus on the learning um, and not rush into the doing. Um, As I explained earlier, it's been that's that's a challenge for me. Um, And at the moment, my main focus is on the learning. um, Purely for selfish reasons, or maybe it's not selfish. I think that I'll be a better practitioner as a result, to be honest.
0: This is a ridiculous question, I think, but what does it mean to be balanced in your, like, it's that's a lovely word, but I'm just wondering what does it I mean? I don't know if it
2: means the same thing for everybody. For me, I describe it as, um, I, I experience it as a balance of feminine and masculine energy within me. Um, I know that some people don't like that the the gendered reference within that term but that's what it feels like to me I think it feels different to different people some people would call it a balance of light and dark some people would call it a balance of openness and 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 um, I don't know open and closed or 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 black and white Um, it's a feeling it's a feeling where I am strong it's the feeling that where my kids can look at me and say this wasn't okay that i don't fall apart or when my husband um can tell me that he's not comfortable with something that i've done and i don't beat myself up and cry um or or tell myself that i'm a bad person or someone can interact with me in a way that is potentially embarrassing or uncomfortable for me and i'm whole or when somebody comes in to me for help or support and my own stuff isn't triggered i'm not telling my own story or 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 um, uh, you know jumping too deeply into theirs but rather just able to be present as a separate and distinct individual um
0: so basically encompasses everything it's like a peaceful it's a really feeling.
2: peaceful feeling and i really like to live with it as much as i possibly can
0: and does it go hand in hand with judy like with the whole spiritual and judaism i'm just interested so for
2: me it's been a way of reconnecting me with my religious practice um i'll be honest and say that as my teenagers challenged a lot of things within my within our household as they as teenagers do um they challenge a lot of things about our religious life as well and and i had to re-examine my reasons for things that I had insisted on or that we do in our house or we don't do in our house or whatever it would be because nobody's practice is perfect and different communities have different emphasis and I certainly straddle different communities my kids are in one type of school we dove in in a different type of school my kids hang out with a certain crowd we hang out with a different crowd I have old friends and new friends there's a lot of different emphasis and you know it, it can be it can get a bit muddled um, and so for me this idea of balance is about Um, being sure of myself within my religious practice why do I do the things that I do Um, would I do them on a desert island you know are they values even if my children choose not to adhere to them Um, I became more religious than my family and I definitely think that when I did that my my focus was on um, building a home and a family. But what happens if your husband or your kids don't want to do things exactly the way that you do it? Does that mean that you are wrong? Does it mean that they're right? Does it mean that you all have to do everything exactly the same way? Um, and and for me, the answer is finding that balance within myself. I am me. You are you. We exist together. And, um, you know, I, I want to hear what you have to say and, and find my own peace and, and decide whether... I don't have to be like you just because I want to be connected to you, but maybe I'll I'll be influenced by you. Um, But what feels right for me? And I I don't mean that with a dismissal of the importance of halachic framework. I'm not talking about those things. That's a different discussion. I'm talking about uh, so many of the things that fall outside the parameters of clear cut halacha. And mainly about our relationship yeah. with with it, even with the things that are halachic. You know, I don't, I'm not convinced that we'll, we'll, it's peaceful to just do things because we know they're halacha and tick the boxes every day. I, I feel that I need to have more of a resonance with them. Mm-hmm.
0: So if someone is interested in personal growth where is a good place to start books to read talks to listen to?
2: I could give you a list of books and talks and all that kind of stuff and I'd be happy to do so um, if you wanted me to but honestly the best place to start with personal growth is with self self um, introspection and I really this word, this term really great because it's become really popularized, but I'm going to use it anyway, which is self-care, caring for yourself. Um, It's become like a buzzword now. And you've got all these people who are kind of going on their daily walk and doing their manicure and buying them, buying in takeaways. so they don't have to cook. Um, And they're not really doing self-care. They're just ticking boxes of things that um, that are on a list somewhere of self-care activities. What I mean by self-care is that you can't do personal growth from a position of of, um, of, deep distress or conflict. You just can't. So you need to find access to fun and laughter, friendship um, and and self-care. By By self-care, the best definition I have of self-care is something that you actually enjoy the process of doing and that you feel good, a lasting sense of good afterwards. So, you know, somebody said to me recently well is exercise self-care and I said well do you actually enjoy the exercise no I hate it but I feel good afterwards well then it's not self-care but the self-care might be the shower that you take afterwards if that if you spend time on it and you you know allow yourself to put moisturizer on and change your clothes and you know whatever it is in the middle of the day that might be your self-care I haven't been able to access any personal growth from a sense of Um, self-flagellation or I'm not good enough and therefore I have to grow as a person I'm a bad parent I'm a bad wife I haven't got any personal growth from doing that I've just got frustrated and and a big pile of books and 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 talks and all that kind of stuff but it it just feeds into my negative self-talk and reminds me how far I've got to go the real growth has come for me from from the places where I am happier and more compassionate with myself and so that's where I would tell people to start
0: can you give an example just one an example, example of of like something a self-care that I'm just wondering what you mean I, like the so process.
2: S- self-care what is that? different for different people of course so I personally for example get self-care out of doing yoga because physically adopting the positions and the breathing um, I enjoy that. So that, for me, is a form of self-care. Um, I don't get self-care out of having my nails done because I don't like the chit-chat in the salon. I don't like the not being able to access my phone. It feels like I'm not really relaxing, but I'm not really available. So that doesn't do it for me for self-care. Um, my best kind of self-care is laughter. And it's it, I'm not so carefree. I'm quite intense. So Um, the best kind of self-care is anything that really genuinely makes me laugh Um, and that can be you know figuring out what that is and the people that I feel comfortable to really really laugh with that's my best kind of self-care.
1: Okay so we're now going to ask you five questions that we ask to everybody that comes on the podcast and the first one is what's your favourite book? I'm going to
2: cheat and tell you two I'm sorry I couldn't narrow it down one is or mate's hold on to your kids which i referenced earlier which is about attachment and the importance of the relationship between parents and children and the other is the empowered wife by laura doyle um which is all about the working on yourself as a way to be um a better wife and mother and friend and everything else so they both say the same thing in
0: different ways interesting yeah i've heard of that one and i'm reading the first one though i'm going to be honest i'm finding yeah. it get a struggle one it is quite hard to read sometimes but it's in yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just read it in tiny bits just 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 read a couple of lines yeah. and reflect on it that would be my suggestion
0: so we've talked about this a lot and maybe you've answered this a bit but what do you do so yeah I said
2: it varies and it depends on the time and you know this this corona situation has obviously shifted a lot of dynamics um you know but now I'm recently able to re-engage time with my friends my girlfriends which is just critical I have the most fantastic girlfriends in my life who are a total source of joy and um and my honest mirror and my safe space and that is everything to me and a lot of my laughter comes there my laughter also comes with my kids when I let loose and play music and do silly things Um, certain types of exercise and recently I've uh, over over the lockdown period I took to painting by numbers which I'd never done before and again about the self-care element I actually really enjoy the sensory experience of the acrylic paint on the canvas the actual physical experience of spreading the paint I enjoy looking at the colors, looking at color affects my mood and makes me feel positive. So I paint things that are very colorful. Um, and um, and I like the fact that it's painting by numbers because I don't feel confident to paint freestyle. Um, so therefore the having the numbers there just kind of takes that pressure away from me and just allows me to enjoy the experience of the color and the texture. Whereas somebody who's more creative than me might feel constrained by paint by numbers and therefore that wouldn't be self-care for them.
1: That's so interesting. Can you get
0: out of yes. kids? Yes,
2: I love them. I'll here. send you pictures of the ones I've done. You should, they're, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. I love it.
0: And about a year ago, my son got me into acrylic paints and painting. I, I don't paint by numbers, but just the feeling and the, like, I can sit and stare at the table and next yeah. afterwards with the different palettes of paint. And it's, it actually does calm me. It really, like, I could definitely hear you on that one. Yeah, I've
2: loved
0: it. Um, What would be your favourite Shabbos? My
2: favourite Shabbos recipe recipe is my challah recipe because um, I just got one that really works for our household and our family and I I like making it and I... I, um, Actually, I don't love making it. I don't love the physical process of making it by hand, but I love the reaction that I get to it and it's worth it every time. Is your female role model? Oh gosh. I, I don't have one role model and the honest truth is that one of the things that I used to do in life was um was idolise people. Um I used to look at individuals and I used to say I want to be them. Um whether it was a practitioner that I was learning from or a teacher that I had or someone whose book I read or attended a course and I used to really believe that these people had it all. Um, And I got burnt a number of times by people letting me down. So I would say that the role models in my life are the people that I know who are working towards living really authentically and um, as their whole selves. Um, Women who are taking the time to develop themselves and fulfill themselves. And that they might not be people that are, that are impressive um, to others. Um, And they might be people that, you know, you wouldn't know some people are more sincere than others, but I have one friend who's, passionate about building a business where she you know she's building a business from, from built a business from nothing and you know she chooses to work um you know outside of the home and, and build this business and I'm, I'm in so much admiration for the work that she does and then I have another friend who has given up her work in order to live um more focused on her family and uh, and she feels that that's a more authentic representation of herself and and she's a role model to me for doing that Um, I guess you know right now I'm quite um, interested in the in the empowered wife um, system which Laura Doyle presents so if I had to pick someone I'd pick her right now Um, and I think that she's sincere and um, and she is um, unpretentious about the ability for everybody to access what she has and she doesn't try and say you know I've I'm I think a lot of times I've seen people who sort of say well I have the most pure experience of this and you may be able to access some of my, some of my experience. Whereas uh, I think I found with her thinking that she says anybody can have access to this, um, this empowerment and this ability to build and improve your relationships. And she's sort of sharing in a more genuine way. So I like her at the moment.
1: Hmm. I think there's there's a whole conversation to be had there about that book in itself. Probably, I
0: don't know,
1: I don't know it, but I'm going to buy it. Yeah, for
0: another time, another podcast.
1: Um, and what would be your favorite? My favorite quote?
2: quote, and again, obviously, you know, we hear lots of quotes in our lives, but right now, I, my favorite quote is, "You can't make someone do better by making them feel worse," and I add to that 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 includes yourself. that's very, very true
1: um wow okay i think we've come to the end of the interview thank you so much for joining us on the women of wellness and wisdom podcast um thank you for your honesty and your authenticity we really appreciate it um if people want to connect with you or find out more about your work where can they reach um, I you i
2: guess the easiest is that I've, i um my instagram handle is char underscore hotter i mean it's just my personal instagram but people can find me there or i can give you my contact details and people can be in touch via the podcast
0: brilliant okay
3: amazing thank you Charlotte thank Thank you so much for having
2: me it's been such fun
3: that for me was a really enlightening conversation it made me think about balance and how we show up in the world I found Charlotte's approach to personal growth and internal work really inspiring and refreshing especially in light of society's trend towards the external noise and the pressure that puts on, that's put on us as women today. I also really heard the idea of opening up a conversation with our teenagers and allowing space for vulnerability, which can help deepen the relationship. It's about shifting the focus at times from being the in control parent to having an authentic growing relationship with our children. As I speak, I'm recording this from the hilltops of Tuscany far away from my friend Joanna, who has just moved to Israel. Even though we are geographically apart now, our plan is very much to continue with this podcast. As much as it is about hearing different women's journeys, it's also about our personal journeys and evolution. So it will be interesting to see where life takes us.
0: We made this recording a few weeks ago with Charlotte and I made Yaliyah, or trying it for the year, as I like to say it. Um, So we're in different countries, we and Bracha. But I felt it was so fascinating listening to Charlotte's story and things that really touched me was talking about the things in open with the kids. I do like that realness, it makes sense to me and something I really try to do with my kids. But also, I feel that I don't do it asking when I'm in a good mood or asking the kids what they like or don't like. It was something that resonated, that I just felt like I would like to take on. And also this concept of being balanced. For me, of course, this is the ideal. I've been exploring it, I would say intensely, for the past few years, definitely through prayer and yoga. But I feel this idea of balance and confidence and self-esteem all goes hand in hand and obviously the finding time for self-care and what it means, self-care, and at that moment when I'm feeling stuck to take care of myself. Something that also resonated when talking to Charlotte was this idea of friendships and her community. It, I remember the saying that it says, it takes, a, it takes a village to build a child. I find that so true and interesting especially at this time of COVID. Um, And also, I have moved about 14 times, and now I have moved to another country. But interestingly, I've never really found, like, that community setting. And I'm not sure if in Israel I will find that community setting, but I do feel it's an ideal. Obviously, I have friends, my dear podcast um, presenter, me and Bracha have known each other since... Being children, nine years old, and obviously, we share so much um, laughter, and obviously, that is so needed. But I think friendship and having that community does help you throughout life finding a purpose and having that sounding board um, to find it. And it's so interesting to hear Charlotte talk about these ideas. And obviously having laughter, especially when time is quite stressful, sometimes even making yourself laugh or making yourself smile is just so needed. And lastly, I pointed that everyone is on a different journey. We're all on different journeys and knowing that and being okay with that and just experiencing it. I just found her thoughts and wisdom so insightful. And it is always so good to listen to other Jewish women talk about their lifestyle and, how, and what works and what doesn't work and how they became the person they are today.
1: Please subscribe, like, and review the podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Women Wellness Wisdom.